Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our very special guest, Congresswoman Virginia Fox, who's been with us through the years a number of times, serving now in her 10th term, representing the 12 counties along the northwestern corner of North Carolina. Uh, And uh, now under the new uh, arraignment in in Congress or new lineup in Congress, she is now the chair of the Education and Workforce (laughs) Committee. And we talked about K through 12 a few minutes ago, but she just reminded me that we haven't talked about higher ed. Uh, So why don't we do that? (laughs) Okay. You're wrong. The biggest issue right now in higher ed, I I think this will somewhat go away, perhaps later in the year, is the student loan issue and what the Biden administration has been doing there. Uh, The president campaigned on the fact that he was going to, quote, forgive student loans. Um, You know, Don, you can't forgive a sin not committed against you and you can't forgive a loan that you don't have. So the Biden administration doesn't hold the loans of the people who borrowed money. The American taxpayer holds those loans. And so if the president believes that he can forgive something he doesn't have, it's wrong. Uh, The American taxpayer has not said to people who borrowed this money, we want to not have you pay that money back. And then when we just absorb that cost ourselves. So what they've done is uh, we've now gone into court over this. There is a suit before the Supreme Court. Uh, I signed on to an amicus brief on this last week. And it will be there will be several amicus briefs going for the toward the court on this issue. So we believe that what the president has done and the administration has done is totally illegal. And it has been actually catastrophic in terms of what the future is going to be. Um, What they've done is try to do retroactive free college. This was something else the president campaigned on. His wife has taught in a community college for many years, and they were promising free community college and, and maybe even free college altogether. And that's what they're trying to do, we think, with this loan forgiveness scheme. But uh, it's not right for the country, and it's wrong. In fact, I think his actions are disgraceful. So what happened was early in the pandemic, under the Trump administration, they they told students they could delay pay, making their payments on their loans. But even after President Trump was out of office, President Biden has continued this, even though the economy has come back, our unemployment rate is low, there are 11 million jobs out there. There's absolutely no reason to continue the abatement of people paying back their loans. It's having a very bad effect on the economy a very bad effect on these people. In fact, I think it's a moral hazard that he's doing that. One of the things they're also doing is they're expanding programs that were designed for special categories of people, like teachers, policemen, nurses, who were going into special service jobs 
who would get a break on their loans if they were going into those jobs. They would have a, a slotted time period to pay them back because they were expected to be in low income jobs. But the president has expanded that program to allow people who are um, lawyers, doctors, Wall Street Journal, I mean, Wall Street people who um, have hundreds of thousand dollars worth of loans to be able to wiggle out of those. We, it's been estimated that if this happens, we could have a trillion dollars of costs transferred to the American taxpayers and not have these people pay back what they took on as obligations. You know, Randy Weingarten has been called the most dangerous person in the world by uh, former Defense Secretary, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. And uh, she had announced that there was a teacher out in California who was getting a $450,000 loan forgiven under this scheme of the president's. Well, I would question why anybody going into the teaching profession would even get, get a debt of $450,000. It makes no sense. I never really understood how this affected people who have been paying on their student loan. Were they going to be retroactively uh, reimbursed? You know, Don, that's never been made clear. Uh, there have been people who were paying on their loans. And uh, that was very, very unclear as to whether those people would get some rebate. But think, Don, oh, 70% of the people in this country have never gone to college. 87% of the people in this country right now owe no debt on their loans or never went to college. And so the 87% of us who didn't have a debt or paid our way through or whatever would be asked to pay the debt of 13% of the people. And about 30% of those people make over $100,000 a year. So this is not paying off the debt of poor students who were struggling to pay off their debt. This would be paying off the debt of a lot of very, very wealthy people. And it's just wrong in every aspect of it. Right now, of course, it's held in abeyance because the Supreme Court has the case under consideration. And so nothing is happening uh, either way. We won't, ex won't expect the ruling from the Supreme Court until late June or early July. But I certainly hope that the court is going to see that the excuse that the Biden administration is using for doing this is not an appropriate way for this to be done. If the court upholds the plan, what does this do to our national debt? It just adds to the national mm -hmm. debt. It could add, mm -hmm. as I said, a trillion dollars. Well, it, it's certainly a controversial issue. And of course, anyone who has a debt, I mean, you know, gee, somebody told me I didn't have to pay my debt off. I'd be in favor of it. But uh, it doesn't make it necessarily right or good policy. Well, you're correct. What about, again, 
uh, the hardworking people out there who have a car debt, for example, should should the people who don't have a car debt go out there and pay that debt off? Or what about your home mortgage? Should you have somebody pay your mortgage off for you? That is not the way this country operates. We are not. We believe that people who take on an obligation should fulfill that obligation. And that's what they did in terms of taking on this debt. Now, we have a bill that we've introduced called the Real Reforms Act, which would, we believe, solve a lot of this problem by making sure that people understand what their debt is. Uh, we would cap graduate student loans at $125,000, which is the average student loan. So it wouldn't be stopping anybody from going on to graduate school. And we would make sure that people don't get in a hole on their debt and wind up paying more than they took out. There are many people who, because they don't know how to do what they were supposed to do, have have gotten into a hole and have been paying back more than what they owed because they got behind or they were paying only the interest and not the principal. So we think we've come up with a good solution to it. It's called the Real Reforms Act, and we think we could solve this problem going forward. The other thing, Don, that it does is it makes people wonder if in the future their debt will be paid off. What about the people who took out debts this year? Are you think any of them are going to be given an incentive to pay back that debt? They're just going to wait 10 years or so and say, heck, somebody will pay my debt off for me. And the worst thing that it does is it fails to address the issue of the high cost of college going. Our college costs, the cost for tuition and fees, has gone up higher, higher than inflation and the cost of health care. And where is all that money going? It's not going into instructor salaries. It's not going into hiring more instructors. It's going into high pay for administrators. So this is another issue again that should be dealt with. And that is how do we bring down the cost of going to college? And that's another issue that we will be dealing with in a bill we expect to bring forward later this year which would be on reforming post-secondary education. Post-secondary education, like uh, elementary and secondary education, is being held in very low esteem right now. And we think the time is right to bring forth some reforms to help parents and students as they do their best to take more courses and do more to create their careers. Any other issues for higher education that you will be looking at? Well, um, there is a tremendous teacher shortage in this country right now. I'm not sure we can deal with that issue ourselves, except to maybe be a bully pulpit. North Carolina is actually doing a lot of good things in that area also, uh, where they're helping students in high school get AA degrees, and go straight into a teacher prep program at a baccalaureate program. Uh, so I'm very proud of, of what North Carolina is doing with its community colleges. So 
There'll be other issues, again, we'll be talking about. I'll spread the word about early college. If parents want to reduce the cost of going to college, again, North Carolina is doing wonderful things in that area. We have early college. We have the Huskins Act, uh, which was passed in 1974, where every high school, well, any high, any student 16 or over, you can be homeschooled or in high school and take courses at the community college for free and let your first two years of college be free, basically, except for textbooks, which could be a, an issue for some students. But there are lots of ways we can reduce the cost of colleges, and we'll be spreading the word through the committee about that. Well, decrease in college cost would decrease student loans. Correct. Absolutely <clears throat> correct. But again, if the president is allowed to simply uh, transfer the, the obligation for the loan to the taxpayers, then there's no incentive in reducing the cost of going to college. Exactly. Well, lots of issues. That, and uh, as we said earlier, uh, you are now the chair of that committee. And uh, that's going to be uh, right down your alley because, as we stated earlier in the program, your extensive background in education and uh, your particular interest in that uh, that field. Um, uh, also, Don, having grown up poor and working my way through college, that my husband and I, high school and college, I have a sense of what can be done, and I I think that's important too. Well, that's that's one of the very interesting things about college education. So many kids uh, take on jobs and. Uh, uh, you know, pay their bills and so forth. And I'm not sure how they come out uh, on this student loan forgiveness because they probably take four or five years to graduate. But in the meantime, they're paying their bills. Correct. Correct. Our guest is Congresswoman Virginia Fox. We want to talk a little bit about the uh, overdue reform of the Workman, Workforce Investment Act. And we want to probably talk about NIL, a college issue, when we come back with the next segment, Carolina Newsmakers. You stay tuned. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. 
Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Congresswoman Virginia Fox, represents North Carolina's 5th District, as she has for nine terms, and now is in her 10th term. This is a district that includes uh, an area from Winston-Salem through Boone to the Virginia and uh, Tennessee borders. Uh, and uh, as we said earlier, uh, the Congresswoman and I go back a long way with our friendship. We've worked on some committees together through the years, and uh, uh, it's been interesting to watch her career. She spent 10 years in the North Carolina Senate, as well as uh, this service to uh, in Congress. Well, we want to talk about, uh, in, in 2014, the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act uh, provided a long overdue reform of the Workforce Investment Act was signed into law. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I was very proud in 2014 to be able to pass the reauthorization of uh, the bill. It had, before I was involved, it was called Workforce Investment Act. The bill we passed out of the House was called the Skills Act. It was, we were focusing on helping people through federal programs, federal taxpayer programs, get skills in these workforce programs. Well, the bill went over to the Senate, sat there for over a year, and finally the Senate woke up and decided that wanted to do something. President Obama, throughout his entire career, had talked about the need to reform our workforce uh, programs in the federal government. So he was interested in it. Some senators were interested in it. So we were able to get it passed in 2015, and President Obama signed it. So it was a big coup for us to get that done, focusing again on helping people get skill development, both uh, younger people coming out of high school as well as older people who need skill development because jobs are changing so much. Now the bill is way past due for being reauthorized. And we will be working on that again. We're hoping again for bipartisan support on that legislation, and we will be working on it. It probably will maybe come forward before our higher ed bill comes forward. But again, we hope for bipartisan support on this. And it really is to help people. It's a small amount of money in some ways of small number of people who participate in it, but it is the federal government's attempt to help people get the skills they need to be continue to work in the workforce. Well, one of the interesting things that we see is everywhere you go in North Carolina, you see signs help wanted. And that's not typically uh, something that you see during periods where we are threatened with the, with the recession word. Um, right. What else can be done to help uh, businesses fill all these openings? Well, um, number one, we could reduce rules and regulations and let them pay more because a lot they spend a lot of money on trying to live with the rules and regulations given to them by the federal government. But we really do have a problem with people just wanting to work. COVID discouraged a lot of people from working. Uh, the president has kept this emergency declaration in effect, which is allowing people to be qualified for Medicaid. And therefore, once they get Medicaid, they get other benefits. 
And so they can do better sometimes with with uh, taxpayer welfare than they are doing by working full time. And that's a terrible situation, Don. That's another moral hazard we have created in our country where you can stay at home all day long and draw welfare and not have to go to work and do as well as people who are working. So that is not a good situation. I want to bring up an issue that all the sports fans are interested in because all the athletic directors seem to think that this is going to be an issue that ultimately will have to be decided with the help of Congress. And that's the name, image, and likeness problem, uh, which uh, has uh, caused a very interesting set of problems for all the athletic programs. And uh, the sports fan, of course, is uh, all interested in winning. So... Uh, it's a it's a bad situation where everybody's trying to keep up with everybody else. Uh, I know that uh, uh, there are no apparent uh, efforts at this point in time to introduce any legislation. What do you see uh, Congress's role in this area that might bring some semblance of, uh, of a solution to this? Well, I'm not sure exactly what our role will wind up being. But I do know I met recently with some people from the Southeastern Conference uh, who came to see me. Uh, I was a little surprised that they came in, but they came in to talk about the need to have uniform policies. And although although Congress meddles a lot in what it shouldn't meddle in, not outlined in the Constitution for us to do, uh, often Congress has to get involved with coming up with a nationwide policy as opposed to our having 50 state policies because you do wind up with some kind of interstate commerce issue or you have students covered by one set of policies at one school. They might want to transfer to another school and in another state and the policies would be different. So I think the push would come for Congress to get involved because the policies vary state by state. So I have had one meeting so far with the conference. To We didn't get into any kind of detail whatsoever, uh, but but I was was told that this was one of the issues that they wanted to talk about, the need for uh, consistent national legislation. I'm going to change the subject to go on you and ask for a comment on the Ukraine-Russian situation. Well, um, I I did vote to give money to Ukraine once uh, because I felt like spending a small amount of money in Ukraine was better than our trying to defeat Russia ourselves. Now, the the bill that was passed, it was kind of interesting, Don, it was um, it was a forty billion dollar bill. I think I'm remembering it right, and it was called uh, Aid to Ukraine. And when I went to vote for that bill, I expected to see a lot of Democrats vote against it because it was money to Ukraine. People like Barbara Lee who are always opposed to any kind of war funding, voted for that bill. And then I realized that 
was because almost none of the money was going directly to Ukraine. And so it really wasn't funding mostly Ukraine. And I've gotten a lot of mail about that saying, why would you vote for money to go to Ukraine when we have problems in this country? And I understand that completely. We do have a lot of problems in this country, but very small amount of that money actually went to Ukraine. A lot of it was spent here in this country for um, for our defense establishment. And that's very much of the money. And some of it had nothing at all to do with defense or Ukraine. But Nancy Pelosi was very clever in how she named that bill to get support for it. So I have mixed feelings about it. Again, I, I'm troubled, Don. I'm truly troubled by the fact that this is the year 2023 and we are watching something happen that looks eerily sim similar to something that happened in 1939 and 1940 when the world pretended it didn't see what was happening, but we can't hide what is happening. The UN is totally useless in this situation. The UN should be should have never allowed this to happen. So it again exposes the uselessness of the United Nations. And I feel so sorry for the people of Ukraine who are caught up in uh, this attack by uh, Vladimir Putin. You mentioned earlier also that uh, the new speaker had three concerns, the debt, education, and China. How about giving us a comment on that? Okay. Well, I've talked a lot about education, so I won't go too much more into that except to say I'm very pleased he sees that as a major problem. Um, on the debt, uh, we will be working on that. There's been a lot of discussion about the debt ceiling. Uh, we can't just raise the debt ceiling and keep spending. We're already spending hundred more than 100% of GDP. No country can exist long doing that. So let's talk about China. Uh, for over two years ago, uh, Speaker McCarthy had made a deal with Speaker Pelosi to come up with a bipartisan committee on China. At the last minute when it came time to appoint people, she pulled out. So we had our own China committee for two years, and we we did a lot of studying about what was happening with China and how we were being impacted with it. Now he has appointed a select committee on China that will be doing a lot more delving into the impact of China on our country and coming up with suggestions on what we can do about it. China is our greatest threat and we have to do something about it. We have to stop being dependent on China. That's another thing that came out of COVID. People found out how dependent we are for minerals, for medicines, for chips, for so many things that make our economy and our country move. So the American people want to stop being dependent on China, and we have to look for ways to do that. Is India our solution in that uh, in that dilemma? Uh, yeah, I think there are lots and lots of solutions in that dilemma. But again, it's going to mean cutting back on the cost of doing business in this country. We increase our rules and regulations all the time. 
and we have to simply look within our country for the resources that we need. And that means uh, utilizing the resources in our country and not being held hostage by China or any other country for that matter. We've long prided ourselves on being independent of other people. And we've allowed ourselves to lapse into becoming very dependent on other countries. Well, so many issues we didn't get to. I hope that uh, we can arrange another session with you later on. We didn't talk about the Middle East. We didn't talk about energy. Uh, we didn't talk about national security. All of those are important issues that you'll be facing in your role as uh, representing the 5th District of North Carolina. We certainly appreciate you taking time to be with us today. Well, I thank you, Don, for doing these programs. And as I said, I listen to them as often as I can. Our guest, of course, has been Virginia Fox. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast or the two segments that you might have missed if you were listening to the half-hour version. The program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us next week on this same group of stations all across North Carolina. Until next week, have a good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Carolina Newsmakers.